Welcome back to The Wrestling Room and welcome back to part two of a message I've entitled How to Understand the Second Coming of Jesus. And this is part of a broader series called What I'm Learning and this is episode number four. And in our first message, part one, we talked about three reasons why the enemy Satan does not want you talking about, thinking about, studying, meditating on the second coming of Jesus and how that there are so many churches that are dying and largely due in part to the fact that they do not teach, do not talk about, do not focus on this great event of the second coming of Jesus. And it's a tragedy. But we also talked about the fact there's a lot of confusion and misunderstanding around the second coming of Jesus. And so we talked about a clarification. Number one, clarification, last message that Jesus' earthly ministry is divided up into two great mountaintop events. Event number one is where God stepped out of heaven and put on flesh. We call that the incarnation of Jesus, the incarnation. But that there's a great valley between the incarnation and the second great event, the coronation, where this same Jesus doesn't put on flesh. He's already done that, but he puts on a crown. He is crowned king of the world. And that is what we're going to talk about in part two. And we're going to talk about a second clarification. I want to clarify the fact that the coming of Jesus, or what is also known as the great day of the Lord, is also divided into two great epic events. And so there's a there's a often a misunderstanding that it is a, it, the coming of Jesus is a moment in time when reality is it's a series of two events. Event number one is the rapture by Jesus of his church, followed by event number two, the revealing of Jesus to the world. And so I'm going to give you six differences between the rapture by Jesus of his church and the revealing of Jesus to the world. So here we go. Buckle up. There's a lot to talk about and discuss. So difference number one, I'll call it number one A, is that the rapture, at the rapture by Jesus of his church, Jesus comes for his bride. He comes for his bride. 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 1, mark it down in your Bibles. Here's what it says. Now, dear brothers and sisters, Paul is writing and he says, let me clarify some things about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and how we will be gathered together to him. Those are the key words. Now, what's going on here? In this first difference, we are gathered together to Jesus. That word in the Greek means assembled or brought together into one place. Now, who is being assembled? Brothers and sisters, this is the affectionate term for the church of Jesus. That's you and me, those who have placed our faith in Jesus. We are being assembled. We're being brought together in one place. Now, how is this happening? Well, let me illustrate it this way. Years ago, I was doing some mission work in Nepal at about 8,500 feet trekking through the Himalayan mountains. And we were doing uh, telling people about Jesus in these little tiny Himalayan Nepali villages and we were uh, crossing through and, and, and walking through one particular little village. And our team leader, Dave, looked out into a little rice paddy. And all of a sudden, he saw somebody he clearly recognized. And so he yelled out hello to this little man who is 
about four foot nothing up to his knees in the mud, tending to a rice field. And they began to wave at each other and began to jabber at each other in Nepali. And the little man slogged his way through the rice field and out of the rice field. And of course, big hugs and lots of smiles. And we went to his house. He cleaned up. We had dinner together. And I found out this little man, probably 85 pounds, was one of the main leaders of the church in Nepal. And that there was a house church movement in Nepal that he was one of the leaders of. And brothers and sisters, this is incredible to me. This kind of thing is happening all over the planet. By the way, in Nepal right now, the church has exploded. It's one of the fastest growing churches on the planet in the nation of Nepal. My brother just got back from building a pastoral training center in Nepal or helping to build so what is going on when Jesus comes for his bride, when we're being assembled, is that little four-foot-nothing, 85-pound church leaders who are up to their knees in mud in a rice field will be gathered, will be assembled. All four corners of the earth, there will be brothers and sisters that just leave this planet and join together, are brought together in one place to meet Jesus. So difference number one is that Jesus comes for his bride. But difference number one B, when Jesus is revealed from heaven, he comes back with his bride. He comes back with his bride. Listen to Revelation 19 verses 11 and 14. It says this, I saw heaven opened. John the apostle is writing in the book of Revelation. He says, I saw heaven opened. And behold, a white horse, and he who sat upon it is called Faithful and True. And following him, verse 14, on the white horses, on more white horses, were the armies of heaven dressed in the finest of pure white linen. Now, who is this? <laughs> Clearly, the one who is called Faithful and True is the great leader. That's Jesus himself. But behind him is a host of people the ar called the army of heaven. This is made up of two significant groups. Number one is us, the church. In verse 8 of Revelation chapter 19, it's clear that those who, at least part of the group, dressed in white linen are God's holy people. Read 19 verse 8 and you'll find it's us, the church. But alongside of us and intermingled with us as part of this great army, Matthew 26, 25, sorry, verse 31 says, But when the Son of Man comes in all of his glory and all of his angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. So friends, when Jesus comes, he will come back with his bride when he is revealed to the world, he will be revealed with his bride on his arm in the form of this magnificent army from heaven, unlike the world has ever seen. We know that in the book of Revelation, it is predicted that there will be a 100-man army. Many of us believe that will come out of China. We also know that the Antichrist will be a mighty warrior with an army that is, is magnificent, and there will be battles being fought during that seven years. But when this army comes out of heaven, it will be unlike anything the world has ever seen. There will be nobody, no army that can stand up against this army led by Jesus, made up of believers in 
indestructible brand new bodies and all the angels of heaven. Friends, we as followers of Jesus will be riding right next to the mighty angels of heaven, this powerful army. So when Jesus is revealed from heaven, he comes back with his bride. He comes back with his bride. Now, difference number two. When the rapture takes place by Jesus, he will take us up to heaven. He will take us up to heaven. Listen to 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 through 18. Write this that, that reference down. Here's what it says. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout. And many believe that that shout will be what Revelation 4 verse 1 indicates. Three words. Come up here. It will be a command of Jesus to come up here. Revelation 4 verse 1. It says he will have the voice of the archangel and there will be the trumpet of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. And then secondly, together with them, this great assembly we just talked about, we who are still alive and remain on the earth, will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. Isn't that exciting? We are separated from him right now. We've never seen him. Our relationship with him is one of faith, someone we've never seen physically, we've never handled, we've never touched, we've never spoken to audibly face to face. After this moment, that will never be the case again. We will never be separated from Jesus. Incredible thought. But friends, this word will be caught up is the word harpazo, and it means to seize or to carry off by force. And it's from the word iro in the Greek, which means to raise up from the ground, to elevate, and to lift up. The Latin word is the word raptus. It's where we get our word raptured. It literally means to be snatched away or caught up violently. When Jesus catches us up, this will not be some kind of a meander through a field of daisies. It will be a rescue mission. It will be an evacuation. And we'll see in a moment, it will be done quickly. So, when Jesus raptures the church, he will take us up to heaven. But difference 2B, when Jesus is revealed from heaven, he will bring us down with him from heaven. Look at Revelation 19, 11, and 14 again, a few different words in these, these passages. Then I saw heaven open, a white horse was standing there, its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. When Jesus came the first time, he came as a baby. He came symbolized by a lamb to be a sacrifice for the sin of the world. When he comes the second time, he comes as a judge and he comes as a warrior. And in verse 14, it says, following him on white horses as well, symbolizing this pure army, sinless, pure army, were the armies of heaven dressed in the finest of white, pure linen. Now it says, following him. This literally means to accompany as the member of a party and to follow one who precedes. It comes from the word alpha. This word following him is the word akalutheia in the Greek, but its mother word is alpha, which means first, first. And friends, there's application to this that is so strong. And what it, what it pictures for us is that Jesus, the commander of heaven's armies, is always to be first. 
he will be first then, leading this army out of heaven. But friends, he's to be first now. He's to be the alpha in your life. He's to be number one. The correct order in our relationship with Jesus is that he leads and we follow. And in so many of our lives, we are the alpha. Our will is the alpha. Our desires are the alpha. We bring him a sheet all filled out with the things we want and desire. And we ask him to sign at the bottom and to put his blessing on our agenda instead of bringing a blank piece of paper with our signature at the bottom and say, Lord Jesus, you're the leader. You're the alpha. What do you want for me to do? What? You are the commanding officer. Give me my marching orders. I've already signed at the bottom. I am here to do your will. So we see in this great picture of Jesus leading this army out of heaven, the alpha, the first, the leader, bringing that army out of heaven. And friends, that is a picture of our life right now as well, or is it, it should be anyway. So that, friends, is the second difference, is that Jesus will take us up, and then Jesus will bring us down. But the third difference, that the rapture of the church by Jesus, it will be a mysterious event. Listen to 1 Corinthians 15, 51. Paul is writing, and he says to the believers in Corinth, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all die, but we will all be changed. This word mystery means a truth previously unknown, but now revealed. In other words, the curtain of the stage of history has only been pulled back so far, and now Paul says, I'm going to pull it back a little further and give you a little bit more of the big picture. Here's an, a mystery you have not known before, and that is this. Not everyone is going to die, but everyone is going to be changed. You're going to get a new body. You're going to Trade in this old beat-up body for a brand new body. We'll talk about that more in a second. Now, the Old Testament prophets, friends, didn't know a thing about the rapture. This was nothing that had been revealed to them. Paul the Apostle was the first one to know about and understand this event called the rapture. It was mysterious. But difference number 3B. When Jesus is revealed from heaven, it will not be mysterious. It will be majestic. It will be majestic. The second coming of Jesus, this revealing of the king, was prophesied over 1,500 times in both the Old and the New Testament. There was no mystery to it whatsoever. It was, it was what every Jewish child, what every Jewish boy and girl were looking forward to, the coming of the king, the coming of the king. They just misunder, misunderstood that the first enemy that had to be conquered was not the Romans or not any nation that they were in bondage to. It was their own heart. It was sin. So when Jesus came the first time, the enemy to be conquered was sin. When he comes the second time, he comes to take over the planet. His return, the Bible says, will be majestic. Listen to 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 and 10. It says this, the Lord Jesus shall be revealed. That means full disclosure. <laughs> when he came the first time, his glory was, was, was shrouded. Only for a moment on the Mount of Transfiguration did Peter, James, and John see Jesus in the glory that he uh, that he uh, lived in, that 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 described him, that characterized him in heaven. They saw it for a moment, and it turned verbal, never at a loss for words, Peter into a blubbering idiot. They didn't know what to say. It was so overwhelming, the glory of Jesus. 
When he comes the second time, it will be majestic. The Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire to be marveled at, the scripture says. That word marvel means to look at with wonder and astonishment, to be amazed, to be perplexed. It's going to confuse us. It's going to be so awesome when Jesus comes back. The world will stand and marvel at this great king who comes out of heaven. So that's difference number three. Now, number four, at the rapture by Jesus, it will be done secretly. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 2 says it will be like a thief. Jesus taught this, or Paul taught this, for you know quite well that the day of the Lord's return will come unexpectedly like a thief in the night. Unexpectedly. But when Jesus is revealed out of heaven to the world, friends, it will be suddenly and it will be like lightning. Listen to Matthew 24, 27. Jesus is, say, is speaking. He says this, For as the lightning flashes in the east and it shines to the west, so it will be when the Son of Man comes. It will not be secretly. It will be suddenly and it will be broadcast across the whole screen of planet Earth. I don't know if you've ever had the privilege of being or observing, being part of a lightning storm, but it is an awesome thing to behold. We were on a family reunion in Redding, California years ago, and it's flat, it's dry, it's hot, and the black clouds rolled in and the lightning started to flash. We all came out of our, our quarters that we were staying in and stood in stunned awe and wonder watching this display that literally spanned from one corner to the other corner of the horizon, and we were literally captivated. Friends, when Jesus comes back, he'll come suddenly like lightning. It will be an awesome display. He will be marveled at. It will cause perplexity and astonishment. But number five, at the rapture of the church by Jesus, no one will see it. No one will see it. 1 Corinthians 15.52 describes this event this way. Paul says it will be in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will all be changed. Two things happening here. Number one, we're raised. That's the assembly that we are talking about from the four corners of the earth. We're raised up and we're changed. The Bible is very clear in 1 Corinthians 15 that our perishable, sinful, rotting, dying bodies cannot enter the kingdom of God. They've got to be switched out. And so in that moment, in some way, somehow, we don't know exactly how it will work, we will trade this old body for a brand new one. And it will happen, the Bible says, in the twinkling of an eye. Friends, that is fractional elements of a second. That is one of the, 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 the shortest time spans known to man, the twinkling of an eye. It will be in a flash. Now, what does a thief do? A thief gets in and he gets out hopefully without being detected. But when the homeowners wake up the next morning, they are met by a mess, things missing. And that's precisely what will happen when Jesus raptures his church in the twinkling of an eye. No one will see it, 
but they will be left with a mess because hundreds of millions of people will be evacuated from the planet, leaving their cars, leaving their clothes, leaving their, leaving their homes, leaving a mess for the world to clean up. Bewildered and perplexed, no doubt. So that will be difference number five. But when Jesus is revealed from heaven, 5b, everyone will see it. In contrast to no one seeing it, because it's done, it happens, it happens so quickly, every eye will see it. Rev Revelation 1:7 says, Behold, he is coming in the clouds, and every eye will see him. The whole world will see this magnificent king step out of heaven with this grand and great army, and they will be mesmerized by it. Now I saw a fractional illustration of this when I was in Nepal. We were trekking, like I had mentioned, in the Himalayas on these narrow mountain paths. And one particular day as we were trekking, we began to pass people. And as we were passing, they began to jabber with and talk to, I couldn't understand, it was in Nepalese, but talk to our, our, uh, the guys who carried our bags. And they, they began to give them a message. And one after another, they began to convey this consistent message, people coming down the path. And we ask them, what's going on? What's going on? And these Nepalese men who were, who were working with us and for us, they began to say, these people are sharing an experience that they've had, is that they have seen a cross in the sky, a cross in the sky. And person after person had seen it. This was not a collaborated effort. This wasn't one group. It was random people, all of them sharing the same vision, the same experience of seeing a cross in the sky. And we came to understand that in some way, somehow, God had seen fit to reveal himself to Nepal by a vision or a picture or some manifestation of a cross in the sky. But it was only that, that area, that group of people. Now, I I've often wondered since then, is that one of the links in the chain to this explosion of the church in Nepal? Very likely so, because we know Jesus is revealing himself all over the world, especially in the Muslim world, in their dreams. And even right now as I speak, we're in the midst of a major season uh, where Muslims have traditionally seen Jesus in their dreams. And so this event that happens with Jesus when he returns will be on a global scale. It says every eye will see him. It won't just be in Nepal. Every eye will see him. Amazing. Friends, nobody's going to be on their phone. Nobody's going to be texting. Nobody's going to be sending emails. Everybody's eyes will be transfixed by this creator God who steps out of heaven as the king of heaven's armies, the, the captain of heaven's armies, and literally takes control of the whole sky. Incredible. All eyes will be on Jesus. But finally, difference number six, A. When Jesus raptures his church, it will be done sweetly as a bridegroom coming to get his beloved bride. Matthew 25, 6 describes Jesus as a bridegroom who will come out of heaven and come for the one that he loves. It says this, at midnight, they were roused by the shout, look, the bridegroom is coming. Come out and meet him. And Jesus 
is described and describes himself in Matthew as a bridegroom who is pacing the floor, waiting for the day, counting the seconds, counting the hours, counting the minutes and seconds for the moment when the father says, go get your bride. Friends, listen, Jesus can't wait to be with us. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you know him and love him, his heart is pounding for you, pounding for me. He can't wait to leave heaven and come get us. For John 17, verse 24, Jesus is speaking to his father in this last great prayer. And the disciples clearly were able to listen in on this prayer as John wrote it almost verbatim in chapter 17. But one thing Jesus expressed to his father is how how desperately, how deeply he wanted to introduce his bride to the Father, how much he wanted her with him. That's us. So Jesus will come at the rapture sweetly as a bridegroom for his bride. But friends, the last difference, 6b, at the revealing of Jesus to the world, he will come sovereignly, not sweetly, but sovereignly as a mighty warrior king. The first time he came, the people initially chanted, Hail him, hail him, Hosanna in the highest, son of David. And they lauded him, they hailed him, but just days later that had degraded into nail him, nail him, crucify him. Crowds are so fickle. Don't be a part of a crowd. Be a disciple who follows Jesus to the death. The crowd changes and is flips and flops. Don't be part of the crowd, friends. They'll say, hail Jesus one day and nail him the next. And they watched as a crown of thorns was crushed onto his brow and blood, no doubt, flowed down his face. But friends, in Revelation, when Jesus is revealed to the world, it will not be a crown of thorns that is placed upon his head. In Revelation 19, it says, upon his head are many crowns. And the Greek word for crown here is a crown of royalty, a crown of authority. And it's not just one, it's many, which means when Jesus comes, he will come with full and complete power and authority, unchallenged sovereignty. The book of Daniel chapter 2 and chapter 7 predicts that Jesus will come back and he will set up the last and final kingdom and he will reign forever and ever. That's our future. We will be part of that kingdom. If you know and love him, he will come back sovereignly, sovereignly, unchallenged, unrivaled, with unlimited power. I want to quote two different Bible teachers as we wrap up this teaching that are so powerful. These quotes, one is by A.W. Pink. And he says of Jesus revealing as sovereign warrior king, he says this, the first time Christ came to slay sin in men. To slay sin in men. The second time he will come to slay men in sin. And as I talked about in the last message, there is a door open and Jesus is beckoning to you and to me. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. What Jesus does when we come to him is he slays our sin. He takes our sin and gives us his perfection. And it's by his righteousness, his perfection, his payment on the cross that we are cleansed and made whole and made right before God. But friends, if we don't receive that perfection of Jesus, 
The second time he comes, he will come to slay men who have clung to their sin, who've not received his perfection, his beauty, his forgiveness. He will slay men in their sin. C.S. Lewis put it this way, the time, this time, it will be God without disguise. Something so overwhelming that it will strike either irresistible love or irresistible horror into every creature. It will be too late then to choose your side. It will be too late to choose your side. Sobering, sobering words. So let me summarize one last time the second coming of Jesus, the day of the Lord. Two major events, the rapture by Jesus of his church and the revealing of Jesus to the world. In the first, the rapture, he comes for his bride. In the second, he comes back with his bride. In the rapture, he takes us up to heaven. In the revealing, he brings us down from heaven. The rapture will be mysterious. The revealing of Jesus will be majestic. The rapture by Jesus will be done secretly, but the revealing of Jesus to the world will be done suddenly like lightning across the whole of the horizon of planet Earth. The rapture by Jesus, no one will see it. But friends, when he's revealed to the world, every eye will see it. Everyone will see it. And finally, the rapture by Jesus will be done sweetly as a bridegroom, but his revealing to the world will be sovereignly. The mighty warrior king will step down into the world that belongs rightfully to him. He's purchased it with his precious, perfect blood, and he comes to take over. That is the second coming of Jesus. That is the day of the Lord. I was having a conversation with a friend not long ago, and he expressed that as he looked out upon the world, he believed things were getting better, that mankind was evolving and coming together and uniting, and he believed that we would continue to evolve, and together we would essentially usher in heaven on earth, utopia, nirvana. Well, as you might imagine, I had to disagree with him. And I shared with him that the Bible had some other things to say. <laughs> and as I shared those things, his response to me was bitter. With obvious contempt, he retorted, You Bible-believing Christians are always so negative. You always believe the worst. And brothers and sisters, <laughs> when it comes to putting trust in man, that is spot on. I am a pessimist when it comes to man's ability to change humanity for the better. I am a pessimist when it comes to man's plans and man's visions to save and to fix this world. It is not going to happen. When I lower my eyes and I fixate on mankind, I am ugly to be around. I'm ugly to be around. But friends, when I lift my eyes and I focus on King Jesus and I contemplate his second coming in both of their phases, in both events, I become a flaming, flaming optimist. And as believers, friends, we should all be flaming optimists. Listen to me. 
If you are walking around in fear and anxiety and negativism and skepticism and cynicism and all those negative isms, it's because you put your eyes on man. Get your eyes off men. Get your eyes off people and lift your eyes to the only one who matters, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And as flaming optimists focused on Jesus, instead of saying the world has become so dark, we can begin declaring it's getting gloriously dark. Gloriously dark because it's always darkest right before the dawn, friends. Instead of saying, what's the world coming to? We can start announcing, look who's coming to the world. And friends, instead of lamenting as Sir Winston Churchill did, I am bewildered by the world. The confusion is terrible. We can pronounce confidently, the best is yet to come. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus, is the second coming of Jesus is our source of hope. It's our motivation for holiness, and it's our basis for supreme, supreme happiness. Friends, Jesus is coming. What are you doing? Are you loving him? Are you serving him? Are you focused on him? Are you eagerly anticipating his coming? I hope you are. If you're not, friends, repent of your sin. Get your eyes off of the stuff of this world, the fool's gold and the glitter and all the garbage of this world. Fall out of love with this world and fall in love with the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, that is my challenge to you today. Thank you for listening. Thank you for joining me. I hope this was a help. I hope it encourages you. If it does, share it with someone else. The world needs to know Jesus is coming. So God bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you next time in the wrestling room. God bless you. Thank you.